0: Hello everybody, Tom Harrison and Ken Krogh here. Today we're with Tim Ballard from Operation Underground Railroad. Tim, you've been pretty busy, a Lots been going on. Yeah. I, uh, on. In fact, he's wearing the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, sweatshirt today. He's been out there, in the last year you've been working with Mike Tomlin. That's he's right. Been, he's been part of the forward of your new book. Yes. Tell us a little bit about you know, some of the things that have been happening uh, th- just this past year. It's been a busy year for you.
1: It's been really busy. You know, we're, we're combating slavery and um, we learn from history. As you know, I love history. I've written several history books and it's, it's sad when we can't learn the lessons from history. And what we, what, we, what we learn about slavery in the 19th century, how it was finally eradicated, it wasn't that Abraham Lincoln raised his hand one day and said, it's over, I'm ending it. Right. That's not what happened. As much as I love President Lincoln, that's not what he did. Um, in fact, The first time time Abraham Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, he said something very telling. According to her son, he reached down and grabbed her hand and he said, so you're the lady who wrote the book that started this war. Whoa! So what does that tell us? Even Lincoln recognized it wasn't the government. It was the people. It was the people who finally saw the sin of slavery in the land. After hundreds of years, enough of them rose up. People like Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. People like Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, the whole abolitionist movement. And so we learn from this. I mean, there's not to take away at all from that horrific thing that was the, the transatlantic slave trade, but just to compare numbers, um, you could add up all the people that were enslaved during that 400 year period called the transatlantic slave trade that we read about in history. You can add all those people up that were enslaved and there's more people alive today enslaved than all those others combined over 400 years. Oh wow. my wow. heavens. This is slave labor. It's sex trafficking. It's, what are
0: roughly the numbers?
1: It's about 30 million people who oh. are enslaved today. Um, of those, rough about, and this is according to the Department of Labor, State Department, tra- Trafficking in Person's Report. These are, these are pretty, uh, this is, there's a consensus around these statistics. About 6 million children, they're either forced into the commercial sex trade, labor, slave, or organ harvesting. And we're working on all those sectors,
2: and so. So, are you talking around the world, Tim, or are you talking in our nation?
1: This is around the world. Around the world. In our nation, it's it's still you know it's still high. It's it's not as high as other nations that aren't as developed, of course, uh, but it's somewhere between two hundred to three hundred thousand children forced into the commercial sex trade, and this is a daunting. Uh, I thought um, especially when we consider this whole thing going on with the border and the wall and building it or not there's there's 10,000 children 10,000 children forced into the commercial sex trade from outside the U.S. forced smuggled into the U.S. forced into the commercial sex trade here adding to that number of total child sex slaves I'm not even talking about the the adult the women who are also trafficked we're just talking about the kids Um, And and, uh, we can talk more about my opinions about that board in a second, but I'm getting to the the point I'm making is Learning from history since my face has been burned from doing too much undercover work (laughs) and 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 I've been out too much And uh, we had to come out and tell the story. We are trying to create a movement just like uh, the, the original abolitionists of the 19th century did We believe we know that like Harry Beecher Stowe and the abolitionists Frederick Douglass and others who spoke out and got so loud that this, basically the foundation shook. And then governments acted and moved. It was awareness. It's awareness. Yes. It, it's people standing up and saying, no longer will I allow this to happen in my land. Um, and so, and, and the parallels are striking too, when you consider, because people say all the time, I hear them say, if I had been an abolitionist in the 19th century, or sorry, if I had lived in the 19th century, I would have been an abolitionist. I would have been one of those that stood up. And I have to kind of be the jerk that says, I don't know, maybe not because the parallels are pretty similar to today. If you haven't been or aren't right now, you probably wouldn't have been then because people in New York say they they didn't see slavery any more than you and I today see human trafficking or child exploitation. They didn't travel to to South Carolina or Georgia any more than you and I travel to Mexico or Thailand. Not to say that it's not happening here. Like I said, it is happening here, but it's more hidden. So you see the parallels are very similar. We like to think, how did these people in the North sit so long and do nothing? Well, ask yourself because you're probably doing, you're probably doing the same thing. Which means you probably would have done the same thing then. And so you, you get them thinking like, oh my gosh, we have a chance to do something now. We have a chance to, to rise up. Uh, and so we are seeking opportunity. So, uh, you know, long, long answer to your question about Mike Tomlin. When Mike Tomlin came to us, we see this as an opportunity. We see Mike Tomlin as a potential Harry Potter. He's Richard. amazing. Oh. Yeah. Um, he, he invites us in. He, he invites us to camp. He calls the media. He calls ESPN. And within a year, ESPN shows up and does a whole story. We take Mike Tomlin forward deployed into one of our operations. ESPN comes with us. We helicopter into the, to the area. And probably 30 to 50 million people have seen that piece about Mike Tomlin and Operation Underground Railroad rescuing kids together. Uh, so, so, you know, that's why I wear this it's pretty I, cool. I wear yeah. Steelers stuff right And, and I can. the team put some
0: OUR stuff on in, in the game. Sure, I mean, they, yeah, they we, got fed, we fed, we fed,
1: yeah, uh, uh, Roethlisberger, the the quarterback. He's he's worn OUR cleats. That's cool. You know who just put some cleats on? They just lost last night, unfortunately, or two nights ago. The Saints, but uh, Taysom Hill. Wow! Right, right yeah. from our from our own BYU. Good. Uh, he's he's now an abolitionist and part of the movement, and he he wore, um, he wore OUR cleats. Funny enough. Coincidentally or not, war them against the game against the Steelers. Oh.
0: <laughs> Who wins that one? You know, you said something pretty interesting. You said parallels. And, you know, Operation Underground Railroad um, parallels the original Underground Railroad. And even in your book, you've got parallels. You've got, you know, um, a story back in... The, the days of the operation of Underground Railroad compared to your story today, your new book, Slave Stealers, it's it's about parallels. It's been a I mean, Tom and I got to go with you for a week and see some of those amazing sites. Yeah, but talk to the parallels in your book. I mean, that that's been yeah. an, a well, it's, it, it starts
1: as it, you know, start. It started when I was uh, asked to be an undercover operator. Oh, man. what like 18 years ago, wow. whatever that yeah. was.
2: Now, wasn't that done at the border? Yes, oh, Weren't I, you in that arena?
1: I was working on the border. Um, I, I was sent there to, to track down weapons and, and, mm-hmm. and terrorists. terrorists. Mm-hmm. That, I had come from the CIA where that was my background. I thought I was going to be Muhammad Atta, who was the, one of the terrorists in 9-11, had crossed the border at the Mexicali, Calxico, California. And so I specifically requested that office because I wanted to track terrorists. That's, I spent a whole, you know, all my academic work was based on that. I was there six months doing just that until I got called in and said, I was told, we need you to do child crimes. And no one really knew what was going on. Child trafficking in the early 2000s, that was still like, what? What is that? You could Google trafficking in the early 2000s and no one would even know what it is. I think the media has done a great job the last five, 10 years talking about it. But again, when you hear human trafficking, just think slavery. Those words are interchangeable. Sometimes people don't know what we're talking about. So when I really harked back to history was when they sent me to undercover school to infiltrate child trafficking rings. And when I got to the training, I, the first thing they do is they send you into, um, they send you into a, a simulator, basically. It's just a fake house. And you walk in and there's, there's a, a smuggler there who's playing the role of a smuggler. This guy's one of the top undercover operators in the U.S. government. And he's there to make you feel like you have no idea what you're doing to make sure, sh- you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Ha- it's how they play with you. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're mental they're boot camp. Yeah. It's, that's what it is. And you walk in, there's, there's two way mirrors blacked out, there's cameras everywhere and you're sweating bullets that I was more nervous doing that than the real thing. You know, later you're walking in and, 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 and they gave me my legend or my story, which was, you know, you are the, the undercover story. You are looking to buy children. This guy's a general smuggler. Now this guy didn't know, they didn't tell him ahead of time what, my legend was, what my story was going to be. Uh-huh. Uh, that's part of my job, was to bring it up in a way that was natural enough that I didn't look like a fool or, or reveal the truth about who I was or get caught up in a lie yeah. you know, or an inconsistency. So that's what they were, this, this guy's job was to break me down. So I get in there and I st- start bringing up child sex. And I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm new at this. But the, the telling part was this seasoned undercover operator stopped the simulator, stood up, said, out of roll, which means cut. Uh, usually that means there's something, there's a problem, something dangerous, usually. Out of roll, stop, you know, this, something's happening. He says, out of roll, he's, turn, he's turning gray. And he says, I'm not going to do this. It's like, what is this, a joke? I, I have a baby daughter. I'm not going to talk about this. And walks off the set, Whoa. so to speak. And so I'm sitting there going, what? What am I? And it, it, it wasn't that these, they were uncaring. In fact, my agency that I worked for leads the way today. It's just that nobody knew. Yeah, it
0: was all you know, new they, to them. It was
1: all brand new. And there was no curriculum. And that's when I realized, well, what am I, I going to do? You're trying to teach me to be an undercover operator, but there's no curriculum for this. And that's when I, I decided, well, I know that what this is. It's slavery. Everything I've learned about it, it looks like slavery. It's slavery. These people don't own themselves. These children are owned by other people who are sending them in to be raped for money or, 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 or labor or whatever it is. And so I, I just bought every book I could on... See, I, I wrote this book, The Lincoln Hypothesis, which, which you're familiar with. I mean, I didn't write that because I, I was a historian. Or, I wrote that because it was an, I, I stumbled into it. Because it, it all started from this experience. I bought every book I could on slavery, on the transatlantic slave trade, on the Underground Railroad, every, Abraham Lincoln, everything I could learn about what others had learned
0: already yes. about
1: slavery to make the perils. So that became my curriculum as i learned how to infiltrate these uh, these organizations that were risk that were that were enslaving children again it's important as someone who loves history it's important to maintain the integrity of the story and not to make too broad bro- you know broad kind of sweeping parallels because it's, it's it's not the exact form of slavery it's not the exact kind and you don't want, you don't want to do that you want to preserve the stories uh, but to ignore the lessons mm-hmm. you know um, i 've been criticized by some people for daring to try to learn lessons from the transatlantic slave trade because they they, they want to be outraged at something and it 's really silly uh, and, and i 've explained i 've rescued children we've rescued children because of that history we have yeah. learned I can give you specific examples where we 've learned from them, including you know Levi Coffin, for example Levi Coffin was um, an amazing individual uh, and he he was kind of uh, one of the leaders of the Underground Railroad. He had a house in Indiana that was called the, um, they called the Grand Central Station of the Underground Railroad. Wow. Hidden compartments where he would hide fugitive slaves. He learned that the only way to rescue kids or, and, or rescue slaves was to go undercover. That you had to infiltrate the black market. And so this guy, he has these amazing stories where he'd go undercover as a bounty hunter, as a fugitive slave hunter. He'd go undercover. And he would—he had the intel of where the slaves were, where they were—who they were looking for. He was hiding them, so he'd get on his horse, pull out his whiskey, and be a, a rough rider running run, run around. with these guys, say, "Yeah, I know, I know who you're looking for." I, he's, and he would throw, throw them off their their their, their trail, mm. send them over here, send them over there, and that's how he'd get things done. You know, so we recognize up front—that's that's the only way to infiltrate. You know, you pretend to be one of these guys, learn to be just like he learned to be a fugitive slave hunter, learned to be a child trafficker. There, there's one example. Um, the aftercare side. How it's how it's so important, it's long term. Uh, Harriet Jacobs, who's the principal yes. in the in the in the book Slave Stealers, which by the way is being made into a document docu series. Oh man, I oh, didn't know that. We, how how wonderful. Which we'll talk about in a second, but um, uh, so she was the healer. You know, she set up the long-term care, the education. Um, uh, politically speaking, how, you, you, get, you get laws changed again, you, uh, and we're doing that. you know we, we just passed a bill uh, that just that the president just signed that we actually wrote the most most of it. I got just signed a few weeks ago, and we can talk about what, what that is. So the parallels you, you, you have to learn from history because they dealt with all of the the elements of slavery. It gives you a map if it's you a look. map yes yeah. it's, it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing.
0: Wow, so. So that method that you've used in your new, in your new book about parallels was striking to me. Again, we, we had a chance to go explore that. Now the organization itself, Operation Underground Railroad, tell us it's, you know, time frame where, how long has it been around? What's it currently doing? And I, then I want to talk about some things that just recently been happening.
1: Sure. So yeah, Operation Underground Railroad was founded in, in uh, 2013, uh, in November of 2013. And, and really it was, the, the basis of it was to look for one boy and we, we knew that. Looking for that one boy would lead to other things. Yeah. Um, uh, but this, we learned about a little boy who had been kidnapped. Um, born in Utah, but kidnapped in Haiti of Haitian descent. And uh, it, it was striking to me when, when I learned about this little boy and I learned about his father who was looking for him. And I knew enough about Haiti to know that nothing was being done to find him except that this father would walk the streets hoping to, find, to, to hear his son cry When what he told me when I met him. Mm-hmm. So as a government agent, I promised this father that we would never stop until we found his son. Um, but a few weeks later, after, I made that, after making that promise, I learned that uh, there was no way to make it a US, um, a US case. There wasn't enough nexus back to the United States. Uh, and so I had, to, I had a decision to make. You know, do I fulfill the promise I made to this man and believe that we can basically privatize the, the rescue of children by supporting law enforcement and training? Uh, and that was a really tough thing in 2013 that I, I that decision my wife and I had to make. Um, but ultimately, we made the right one, and we went looking for this little boy. And and since that time, that was Haiti, that was one country in 2013. We're now in 20 countries, 22 states in the United States. We still haven't found this little boy, but we have, um, we have rescued now close to 1,800 sex trafficking victims. Wow. Uh, Close to 800 traffickers in jail, which I love that number better because I know that one of those traffickers or pedophiles can abuse easily up to 100 kids in a mm. lifetime. So how many kids are being rescued that never, that never needed rescue? Yeah, needed you're
0: cutting off at the source. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Um, those are the best rescues, the ones where the kids never had to know. How to many rescues,
0: them. roughly, have you guys been part of a that you've launched. You call them a jump, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, they multiple. Uh, I mean, she said, I don't even know if I can put a number on it because it's, it's multiple now. We're in 20 countries and this area. they're happening constantly. We don't even report
0: most All of them anymore because
1: yeah. they're, they're happening so frequently. Wow. We have guys full time in those countries. Every day is a new operation. Oftentimes
0: gotcha. So now who are these these people that help you that you've recruited? They come from many walks of life Yeah, they're
1: they're experts. They're experts in, the, in 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 trafficking from different areas We have some on the military side former Navy SEALs. We have on the federal law enforcement side Homeland Security uh, We have um, state and local officers who, who, who have an expertise uh, We have computer forensic guys who, who, who help process the evidence We've built a lab. We've built labs. We have, we've, we have two labs that we built. Um, one is in Colombia. One is in Thailand. And it's, it's amazing. We provide the tools, the forensic tools, the digital tools required to do, to do these cases. You can't do these cases without that um, technology because so much of the trafficking is online. The child sex, uh, the pornography, the deals, they're being made in the dark net on peer-to-peer networks. Uh, and so, if law enforcement doesn't have the ability to infiltrate these uh, these uh, online, uh, you know, hubs of child sex, they, they can't they can't combat it. So, so a lot
0: of it's technology based now. It's, it's a driven. lot of it's
1: technology based. Yeah. And so we're we're we are working right now to to build the capacity that way. One thing we're doing in the United States is providing because there's plenty of labs here, but there's not mobile labs. So we we're building me- mobile labs where law enforcement can go to the site of the crime the house, the search warrant, and begin processing evidence immediately, hmm. which then allows them to um, arrest the perpetrator immediately. Otherwise, they can't arrest him too soon because then the prosecutorial clock starts and they could send their stuff to a lab and it could be six months waiting time. Wow! But during that six-month period, I've seen p- predators then abuse more children. These mobile labs allow them to process the evidence on site, get enough evidence to get the green light from the prosecution, to go ahead and arrest, start the clock because we know we have enough evidence.
2: Because the, go the uh, commitment of your operations officer has been amazing to me. I've had the opportunity over the last 15 months to chat with some of them after a operation has taken place, and the commitment of these individuals to go on and do this very difficult task but then come out and feel like they've, they've really done some service. They've really helped.
0: So, yeah, speaking uh, of service. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, this, this is not an easy job, you know, especially working for a nonprofit. So, you know, there's only so much benefit financially set there. Uh, so these, the, the, the men and women who work for, for, for us are just incredible. I mean, they, they live a lot of, they sacrifice their lives. They live on an airplane. You know, unfortunately, our and they work, have to
0: go at a moment's notice. Like,
1: oh, yeah. Something happens. They're on a plane. They're gone. You know, it's 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 a tough life.
0: And, and, and there's two main elements. There's the rescue and then there's then there's the, the care after the, the people are rescued. Right. And, and you've got you've got you, you're fighting a war on two fronts. You've got to go save the kids. But then you've got to help. Yeah. The and, the that, and not only strategies. that, but our policies,
1: if, if we were to liberate, say, two children in Guatemala, and then we take them to one of our aftercare centers that we have vetted out, that that's how we do this, we vet these out, we supply them with resources, make sure they have what they need before we'll even do the rescue. But if we, if we liberated two children from traffickers in Guatemala, took them to our aftercare center, and that aftercare center had 300 kids already healing, we take them all on. Wow. So it's, it's over, du- the, the number of kids we've rescued versus the number of kids that we are personally responsible for their healing is more than double. Wow! Uh, because we once we connect with the Aftercare Center, they are our partners forever. So we
0: got uh, our episode, first episode on this is about over. Um, I want to I want to talk in our next episode of how YouTube worked together and some of the things that have been happening and and um, but but the b- main question from our viewers, our community, is how do they get involved? How 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 do they get behind the awareness and and some of I, I get
1: people all the time saying, I want to help. What can I do? How do we answer that, Tim? You know, the, the, best, the best answer is, see, pe- people want me to say, ABC, go do it, yeah. right? And I, and I say, I can't say that to you because I don't know you. Yeah, you right. will know before I know what you can do. And it's, it's the people that generate their own ideas and begin to execute, those are the ones that last. Those are the ones that make a difference. And then we plug in. We always plug in. Yeah. Once we see that happening, we plug in. So.
2: so the intention is with those who want to volunteer, they feel it, they know what they can offer, Wow. and then they plug in with the organization through that intention, which is very similar to eternal core. They feel an intention, they have a core story, and they plug in with eternal core, God-centric mental health, through the intention, and
0: it moves the whole process forward. Very similar process. That's powerful. Tell Would us you, some of I, the things they have, I mean, what are some of the things they have been doing?
1: Well, can I, can I give well, an I'll example say, Please, quick? yeah, please. I want to go back to Harriet Beecher Stowe for a second because um, her story's amazing. Her story is very, much, is very similar to the people who are coming to you saying, what can I do? She's a, she's a mother of many children living her life as, as ordinary as anybody. And she lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. She crossed the river into Kentucky for an errand she had to do, stumbled upon slavery. Didn't mean to see it, had heard of it, had heard of slavery just like everyone here has heard of trafficking. Yes. But now she stumbled upon it, she sees it, just like one of these people, stumbles upon one of our videos, sees the actual footage, meets an actual survivor of, tra- of, of sex trafficking. And she was so moved, she came back and says, what can I do, what can I do? And again, they, just like they're coming to you and me, what can I do, what can I do? She goes, Harriet Beecher Stowe goes to her sister, says, what can I do? I, I, I feel so helpless. I'm not a politician. I'm not an operator on the Underground Railroad. I have no skills. What can I do? Her sister writes her a letter and says, you know how to write. Uh-huh. Why don't you write something? And, and Harriet, Harriet tells the story about how she's reading this letter, says, write something. And she was so moved. She stood up. She, she fisted, you know, she made a fist around that, crunched up that, that letter even. And she said out loud, I will write something. I will if I live. And she writes Uncle Tom. Now, she didn't go to someone and say, tell me what to do. She didn't go to the government and say, tell me what to do. I don't know what to... She said, I know what I can do. And she just did it.
0: Well, that gives you chills. That's powerful. And she yes. sat down
1: and she wrote this book. People read it. People were moved by it. And then they asked themselves, what can I do? And they did their thing. And so that's what people—that's what we need people to do. You and know? It was a
0: catalyst that just started the dominoes falling, didn't it?
1: Yes. And, and so we tell people, Figure out what you can do. Like, uh, I just came from Malou Foundation. They're, they're, they make high-end, you know, bedding and whatnot. They, they had the Harriet Beecher Stowe experience. And they said, they, they didn't st- say, Tim, tell me what to do. They just did it. They started, they, they hosted a, 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 a screening of one of our documentaries, brought the whole community, rented out a theater. And then from there, they got all this, this interest and they said, okay, now we're having, now we're gonna do a fundraiser and we're gonna fund a mission. They raised $30,000, gave it to us. We used that money to, to uh, arrest a bunch of bad guys down in Haiti, which was the ending of the documentary Operation Saint, which wow. everyone should be watching on Amazon Live. It's, it's, yes. it's on Amazon right now. Um, and so they, we just basically sit back and we become their partners, not their bosses, gotcha. their partners. gotcha.
0: Everybody, let's get involved. Uh, Tim, thank you for being here with us. Uh, we want to talk our, our next episode we're going to talk about some of the things that have just been happening in the last year and a half as you two have been working together and some of the plans going forward so thank you everybody Ken Krogh Tom Harrison with Tim Ballard thanks for being here uh, we've got a couple more things we're filming so be ready we're going we're to share a few more things and, and some things Tim usually doesn't share we're going to have him at our event on March 29th and 30th at the Little America Hotel Eternal Core go to eternalcore.org